this week on Hope for the Broken. We have a hunger that transcends our physical hunger. You will be physically hungry again, but in Christ, there is a satisfaction that lasts beyond anything that this world can possibly offer. He's saying, I want to look deep into your heart, and what you're really looking for is you're looking for satisfaction. You're looking for peace. You're looking for joy. You're looking for fulfillment, and you're trying to find it in things, but it can only be found in me. Welcome to Hope for the Broken, the audio podcast ministry of Trinity Baptist Church in Mount Pleasant, Texas. I'm your host, Austin Mahoney. We exist to become a gospel-centered community, redeeming brokenness through hope in Jesus Christ. At Trinity, we believe we are all broken and in need of the redeeming hope found in Jesus. For more information about our church, visit us on our website at trinitytx.org. This week, we begin a new sermon series called I Am. In this sermon series, we learn more about Jesus as we look at the seven I Am statements Jesus gave us in the book of John. Here's our pastor, Chris Wigley, with part one titled, I Am the Bread of Life. Today, we are kicking off a new series of sermons entitled, I Am. We're going to look at the I Am statements of Jesus. There's seven of them. And on your way in, there was this flyer in your seat or in the seat next to you. Uh, And uh, on the back of it, it has a place where you could take notes Uh, It even has a portion at the bottom, a card that you can perforate and tear off and use that to invite a friend, a neighbor, a coworker to join you as we journey through the I am statements of Jesus. Now, I know for some of you, uh, that have OCD really bad, you're like, wait a minute, we didn't finish First Samuel, right? And, and you're twitching right now. I can see you twitching in your chairs. We're going to get back to that. Uh, but following Easter, in light of Jesus being the resurrected Savior, there's some key things that I think are vitally important for us to understand who Jesus is. And they are wrapped up into these seven sayings that the Gospel of John records. Uh, There are seven of them throughout John's gospel, and they point to a portion of who Jesus is and what he did uh, in in coming here, what he was sent to uh, accomplish. Now, here's the thing. As a believer in Jesus Christ, we ought to seek to know to the fullest that our finite minds can possibly understand the totality of who this Jesus is. If he is indeed the resurrected king, he is worthy of our knowledge and our pursuit and our understanding of him. And it is wrapped up. Jesus is very intentional in these I am statements and they're recorded with absolute intentionality. These are not flippant statements that Jesus just happened to say as he was passing by. Because for the majority of these statements, he will face the toughest testing and the greatest challenge of his life. These very claims are the things that will ultimately send him to the cross. And so they're, they're powerful statements. And he backs up all of these claims with miracles. Many of these statements are wrapped in a miracle. He, he uh, performs a miracle and then makes a statement about who, who he is. So this morning, we'll be launching our series by looking at the first recorded I am statement of Jesus when he says, I am the bread of life. And so I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of John to chapter 6. We're going to be in verses 25 through 35 this morning as we unpack what that statement means. Jesus, I am the bread of life. And today we're going to examine the name. We're going to look at the need And then the response, name, need, response. 
So let's begin by looking at first the name. You know, names are, names are important. And that was especially the case in Jesus' day. And, and perhaps your name is, is meaningful. How many of you in the room, you were named after a parent or a grandparent? Anybody here? Name? Okay. Very good. All right. Many of you are named uh, after a, a family member. How many of you are named after a Bible character? All right. Okay. Some of you are named after a Bible. Anybody named Judas in the room? Yeah, I didn't think so. That, uh, that, would, be, that would be unfortunate if that was the case. Uh, but did you know that even our names sometimes reflect our family's history? For example, the Millers. If you were a Miller, uh, if that was your last name, your family ground or milled wheat into flour at some point in, in their history. The Smiths, I know we have some Smiths uh, as a part of our, our church. They were metal workers long ago. They were silversmiths, goldsmiths, blacksmiths, so forth and so on. The Jones family, we're not really sure what you guys do. We're just trying to keep up with you. That's all I know. Um, but other people's names reflect a relationship, right? Like Erickson is the son of Eric. Anderson, the son of a man named Ander, and so forth and so on. But when it comes to Bible times, names are extremely important, and they're very much so intentional. And we learn in the book of Exodus God's name. In an exchange between God and Moses, God reveals himself to Moses through a burning bush, a bush that was on fire yet was not being consumed. And, and God has this conversation with Moses in what we assume to be a very audible exchange. And, and in that exchange, Moses is expressing to God his inability to do what God is asking him to do. God has asked Moses to lead his people who were in bondage for hundreds of years in, in Egypt. He was going to lead them out of slavery and into the promised land. And Moses bargained with God. He, he talked about his speech impediment and that he wasn't worthy and that he was unable to do such a thing and, and that he eventually convinced God to take a partner along with him. But, but God in that exchange revealed to Moses his very name. In fact, Moses demanded that he know. He said, listen, God, I mean, this is great and this is exciting and I can get on board with this, but whenever I go to the people of Israel and I say, listen, God has told me, your God has told me that you are to follow me out of Egypt and out of slavery, they're going to ask me, what's the name of our God? And the reason why they're going to ask that is because having lived in Egypt for so long, they were very aware of many names of many different types of gods that the Egyptians worshipped. But they wanted to know the name of the one true living God. And so Moses said, God, you're going to have to give me your name so that when I come to them, I have something to, to offer them when they ask that question. And so God answers that question. And in Exodus chapter 3, verse 13, God says, My name is I am who I am. I am who I am. When you read it in the original language, in the Hebrew, that name is sometimes pronounced Yahweh. We sang about it this morning. Yahweh. That's God's covenant name. That's the name of God. And when the Hebrew scriptures were written, the name of God was considered so holy that it wasn't ever spoken. And it was only spoken by those who were priests, who were deemed worthy enough, clean enough to be able to even speak uh, God's name. So in some places in the scripture, you'll see a different word in its place. When you are reading along in your Old Testament and you come across the word LORD in all caps, it is that word. 
It is Yahweh. It is God saying, I am that I am. It is the Almighty declaring, I am is saying this, or I am is performing this, or I am is working this. And so it is the, the name of God. Now, we're privileged to speak the name. And as we sang, we can shout the name Yahweh, Yahweh. Well, why are we privileged to do that? Well, because of Jesus' atoning death upon the cross, by way of faith, we then have a personal relationship with God. God is no longer distant. And Hebrews says that we may now boldly approach the throne of grace, not to lower the reverence of the person of which we are seeking, but because Jesus has elevated our status before a holy God, we can speak the name and we have a direct connection to Almighty God but his name is the great I am. Now, fast forward when Jesus comes on the scene, when he's born at Christmas, right? He's given all kinds of different titles. And one of the titles that we even studied this past Christmas was the name Emmanuel. Do you guys remember what that name means? It means God with us, right? So Jesus is God with us. He is God the Son, He's not like God. He's not a God. He is God. And he has come to dwell with us. So Jesus, the great I am, coming to dwell with us. And when Jesus uses the phrase in these seven statements, I am, he is intentionally making reference to the name of God. He is intentionally saying, listen, I am God. And these are the claims that Jesus makes. And every time he makes a statement, he's connecting to that truth. So he says, I'm the bread of life. He says, I'm the light of the world. He says, I'm the door. I am the good shepherd. I'm the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the true vine. And Jesus backed up all of those claims and the miracles that he performed, ultimately resulting in his resurrection from the grave. And so as we're going to see in the first statement, I am the bread of life, it is a direct link back to this Moses exchange. It is the fulfillment of that. It comes on the heels of Jesus having fed the 5,000. When you look back in chapter 6, you'll see the headlightings. The first part of chapter 6 is Jesus feeding the 5,000. Now, in those days, heads of households were counted, and only heads of households were counted. So most scholars think that there's anywhere between fifteen to 20,000 people that Jesus feeds on a sack lunch. This is indeed a, a, a tremendous miracle. And so here he is, encased in that, he's going to dialogue with the crowd, with people, about who he really is. Let's pick it up in verse 25 of John chapter 6. It says, When they found him, Jesus, on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? So they have this question, Jesus, when did you get here? Because Jesus, after he fed the 5,000, he retreated. He goes up into the mountaintop and he spends time with God and he tells his disciples, go ahead and get in a boat, head on over to Capernaum and I will meet you there. Well, Jesus meets them. But you remember how he meets them? He meets them by walking on the water. And then when Jesus gets in the boat, the scripture says, and then suddenly they arrive at their destination. Like there's this teleportation of wherever they are in the Sea of Galilee and boom, they're right at their location. And so all the people are like, when did you get here? You were on the other side of the sea when when we left you, right? And so here they are. Jesus is then going to call them out. Verse 26. 
Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Now, in the first service, I said feel. That's my East Texas coming out, right? You ate your fill of the loaves. But he goes on and says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. And then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Isn't that interesting? We want God's blessings on our life. So what are this, what's the checklist, Jesus? What do we got to do? And look at what Jesus says, verse 29. Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you simply believe. You believe. Believe in what? Believe in him who he has sent. Don't do, just believe in Jesus. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? I mean, you see the absurdity here, right? I mean, they all just ate a miracle meal. They all saw a miracle flesh out before their eyes and they want more signs. This is the human condition, right? We get something and we only want more of something. It's like we're constantly looking for more. We're constantly craving more in our lives. They go on, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now, this is the reference back to Moses. Remember, after Moses led the Israelites out of bondage in Egypt, and they crossed the Red Sea on dry ground, and they're wondering, what are we going to do now? We're in the wilderness. How are we going to eat? And they wake up the next morning to manna, bread-like substance, having fallen to the ground. The, the word manna literally translated is, what is it? Right? They would wake up and they go, what is it? And it's like, it was bread. God gave us bread overnight. This is awesome. Let's eat bread. And so they would collect it six days a week. And then on the sixth day, they would collect a double portion and have it for the Sabbath. And God provided for them. And he gave manna. And the rabbis taught in Jesus' day, you know the sign of the Messiah? The Messiah will give you manna. The Messiah will come. The chosen one of God, the Savior of the world, is going to come and he's going to give you bread from heaven. That's why they make this statement. Verse 32. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. It was God. He gives you true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And so they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. To which Jesus said to them, I am this bread. I am the bread of life. And whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. All this talk about Moses and all this talk about food, Jesus is saying, listen, you're missing the whole point. And in so doing, Jesus corrects their thinking in three ways. He corrects them by first saying, it wasn't Moses that gave you this food. Let's give credit to where credit is due. It was God Almighty who gave you this bread in the wilderness. Number two, that was just physical bread. You're going to get hungry again. And number three, true spiritual nutrition is a person... It's not a substance. See, the bread of God, the true bread of God is a person. I want to show you. Look again, verse 33. Look into it uh, deeply. Verse 33 says, For the bread of God is what? He. It's a person. 
And Jesus goes on to say, I am this person. I am that person. I am the bread of life. That's the name that he assigns to himself and the power behind it. So now let's look at why he would say that by looking at the need. There is a need that Jesus exposed. And Jesus is the ultimate teacher. I mean, he is like, of course he is. I mean, he's God, right? But he's the ultimate teacher and his masterful in the use of analogies. And what he's saying is this. Is he's saying there's a deeper need behind your desire to want more food. I mean, you're, there's a deeper need behind all of your cravings. He says what you're truly looking for is life, right? Like you want true life, but you're looking for it in all the wrong places. This is entirely different than what the crowd is asking for. The crowd is solely focused on the physical realm when Jesus is saying, I want to press past that. I want to show you your true need. In the original language that the New Testament was written in, it's, it's Greek language, uh, Greek has an opportunity to, to uh, provide greater insight to us here as to what Jesus is saying. Because the English language is so limited. Like we have one word to describe all different kinds of scenarios right like like take for example the word love i can love my wife and i can love taco bell right that doesn't make sense because it's the same word whereas in greek it separates it right and the same is true when it comes to the word life there are three greek words that are translated as life the first word for life is the word bios it's where we get our word biology Okay, It is the talking about physical life, natural human life, bios. The second Greek word for life is the word psyche. It's where we get the word psychology, or we talk about our thought life, our inner life, our personality. But then the third word for life is the Greek word zoe. This kind of life is eternal life. It's spiritual life. It's greater than the natural. It's greater than what happens in the mind. It is truly satisfactory life. And guess which word Jesus uses whenever he says, I'm the bread of life. He uses zoe. I'm the bread of true life. Ultimate life. I'm the source of it. Sure, he's the source of the physical because we learn in Colossians that he is the agent by which creation is made. Jesus makes creation. So yes, he's, he's Lord over the physical realm. Certainly he gave us a personality and, and he tells us to take every thought captive and make it submissive to Christ. But the word that Jesus is using is the word to describe ultimate, satisfactory, peace-giving life. Jesus says, I am the source of of that. I'm the bread of life. It's the same word he uses in John 10.10. Remember John 10.10? It says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and life to the full. Zoe, life. So in using this word, what Jesus is saying is this, is that we have a hunger that transcends our physical hunger. You will be physically hungry again, but in Christ, there is a satisfaction that lasts beyond anything that this world can possibly offer. And by interacting with the people the way he is, Jesus is going after a space that only he can heal. Right? He's he's saying, I want to look past the smoke and mirrors, and I want to look deep into your heart, and what you're really looking for is you're looking for satisfaction, you're looking for peace. 
You're looking for joy. You're looking for fulfillment. And you're trying to find it in things. But it can only be found in me. And so Jesus is saying what you're truly hungering for is you're hungering for a relationship with me. And listen, Jesus is still looking for people who are hungering for true life. When you look past the physical and you look into the depths of your own heart, what do you see? Do you see a longing for more? Do you see a desire for peace, for satisfaction, for fulfillment? Of course you do. Because that's the human experience. We've all heard the pastors say that there is a God-shaped hole in our heart that only who can fill? God. Jesus has come to be that bread of life, the fulfillment of that very thing. And so he's saying what you truly need is you, you need me. And the problem with the people in this passage is that they refuse to accept his definition of life. Verse 26, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. In other words, you're hungry again. And you're coming to me and you want me to feed you. Verse 27, but don't work. Don't put all the energy into the food that perishes, the temporary. But rather put work in for the food that endures to eternal life, true life, which only the Son of Man will give you. The people want temporary bread when Jesus is offering them eternal life. And and here's the truth. We're no different from this crowd. You and me. We're no different here. We all have a Zoe need that we're trying to fill with Bios solutions. And you and I know the outcome. It's disappointment, right? It's failure. It's leaving us empty. Those things always fail us, don't they? And when the crowd says we're concerned with our stomachs, Jesus says I'm concerned with something greater. I'm concerned with your heart. The Bible says that the heart is easily deceived. We're deceived into thinking that what we need is more things, more stuff, a different position, a greater situation. And we're conditioned to think that way, but the heart is easily deceived. We know that we need life, but our tendency is to look for it in all the wrong places. For example, people say, well, I hate my job. I'm in a dead-end job. It's draining me. And so we go to another job to find what? The exact same thing. Now, I'm not saying that God isn't calling you to another job, but what I am saying is when do we find contentment, right? Or, or, Or we say things like this, things are caving in all around me. I'll find a solution to these challenges in a bottle or in a drug. Or we think, I'm so unsatisfied, I'll find life in the pleasures of this world. Or we say, my spouse just doesn't meet my needs. It's a fight all the time, and what I need is a different relationship. Or what about this one? I just need more affirmation in my life, so I'll find it in the opinions and the thoughts of others, and we work tirelessly to build this life, to put on a show that other people might like us. Listen, Jesus goes after all of that. He sees all of that, that space that only he can see, and he's concerned. 
I think Jesus sometimes looks at our life and says, oh man, they're running after the wrong things. If they only knew that I was the source of real life then, then they would be satisfied. We try to solve a Zoe problem with a Bios solution. Jesus is the bread of life, and only in him do we find true life. So we've taken a look at the name, we've looked at the need, now let's look at the response. Verses 28 through 35, the people respond. It says, then they say to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? In other words, we're not interested in a relationship with you. We just want stuff from you, and Jesus is going to expose it. Verse 29, he says, the work of God is this, that you believe in him who is sent. Believe, just believe, have faith, trust in. So they said to him, then what sign do you do? What work do you perform? Are you kidding me? I just did one. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them true bread. What they're doing is they're trying to peg Jesus. They're not interested in him. They're trying to peg him. Listen, Jesus didn't come to bring physical bread. He came to be bread that ultimately wells up to eternal life. But it only comes through having a personal relationship with him. He's saying, you think that you are looking for more things, but what you're really looking for is me. Jesus is all we need. Right? Like, we don't need another bigger house, right? Anybody get their tax appraisal statement in the mail yesterday? Like, the last thing we need is a bigger house. You know what I mean? It hurts. But Jesus is saying, listen, I've come to be all that you need. Do you see Jesus as that? Here's a huge question I think is worthy of asking. Could Jesus put an end to world hunger in an instant? But let's say that he did. Let's say we wake up tomorrow and all of a sudden we are blessed with such amazing food at such cheap prices that the whole world is fed and has their fill and has more left over. Aren't we still in the same condition? Right? still in the same place seeking physical material possessions to satisfy a spiritual need our soul i found i found one commentator that wrote this our soul is craving someone not something and until we're settled with the someone we will never be content with something isn't that true we see that in our date all the time What about some of the most impoverished areas in the world? Have you ever been there, been to a third world country only to find the happiest of people? Right? There there is a way to be happy without stuff. But the converse of that is true. There's a way to be unhappy with a ton of stuff. That's because satisfaction can't be found in things. They're found in someone, Jesus And here's what will happen in this passage. Jesus will demand a response. And unfortunately, the response of the majority of the people in this crowd will be like, sorry, Jesus. What I really need is something. I don't need someone. I need something. And they will leave him. They will ignore him. They will abandon him. But there will be a few that will remain. 
And at the end of chapter 6, Jesus turns to the few and he says, what are you going to leave to? And their reply is powerful. They say, but Jesus, where would we go? For only you have the words of life. Have you gotten to the point where you see that Jesus is the only source of life? Or are you still striving? Are you still groaning? Are you still wanting? Are you still craving more? Or have you come to the point where you're ready to give all that up and just rest in Jesus? Jesus is a source of life. Jesus demands only two responses. There's no third response. You either embrace him and find true satisfaction and fulfillment, or you reject him and you try on your own time and time again. But Jesus says today what he said so long ago to each of us. I know you're hurting. I know you have a need deep down inside. I want to speak to that space for a moment. I am the bread of life. What Jesus offered then, he offers to us today, and that is true, satisfactory, fulfilled life. When you think about it, the analogy of Jesus is perfect, right? I mean, of course it is. He's the greatest teacher the world has ever seen. But think about it. What do we do with bread? What is said of bread? When we fellowship together, what do we do with bread? We break bread. Remember at the Lord's Supper, Jesus broke bread. Here's the truth. Jesus is the only bread that will break for you. But think about all the other places we try to find life. What will it do to us? It will ultimately break us. Jesus says, listen, I'm the bread of life that is broken for you. Oh, but you can try to find it in other things, but it will only end up breaking you. When we try to find fulfillment in all of life's things, what happens? It creates dependency, addiction, leaving us empty. It breaks us. Literally breaks us. Have you ever been there? Disappointed by all that light this world has to offer? That's the space Jesus speaks into and says, listen, you may be broken by the things that life offers, but I'm willing to break for you. Jesus will go to the cross for you, for me. That you and I, we might have real life. You're listening to Trinity Baptist Church's Hope for the Broken podcast. If you would like to learn more about this ministry, visit us online at trinitytx.org. That's trinitytx.org. Here's Pastor Chris to wrap up our time together. Thanks for listening today. I'm so glad that you found this podcast. It is our prayer that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. It is our goal at Trinity to lead everyone into a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have questions about what it means to trust Jesus as the Lord of your life, we would love to connect with you. Please feel free to give us a call at 903-572-1959 or email us at info at trinitytx.org. 
If you are ever in the East Texas area, we invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 9.30 or 11 a.m. Thanks so much for listening today. God bless you. We pray that you have experienced hope today. If you would like to support the ministries of Trinity Baptist Church with a financial gift, you can do so by giving online. Simply log on to trinitytx.org and click the Give tab. Be sure to join us next week as we look into God's Word on Hope for the Broken.